This is Lisa Miller and Associates, Florida Insurance Roundup, your podcast on the people, issues, and regulations shaping Florida's insurance market. Now, here's Lisa Miller. Welcome, friends. In our last podcast, we talked with an insurance agency executive, a reinsurance broker, and the head of Florida State-backed Citizens Insurance Corporation, Barry Gilway, about the newest reforms of the Florida property insurance marketplace. And in today's get-together, we have a very special guest because we're going to look at those reforms through the eyes of an insurance defense lawyer, former plaintiff lawyer, very seasoned, very bright, very brilliant, one that I get to work with on a lot of special projects. And I think that the reforms from the Florida legislature in December 2022, they were great. They were comprehensive. You heard the word historic. And they actually built on what we did in May of 2022. The legislature was very forward-leaning, trying to do what they can to try to get these rates, if I say down, or shall we say stop some of the increases. All these reforms were designed to try to attack these rate increases. You know, the reinsurance rates are what's driving a lot of this. We've had some carrier insolvencies. All of you that listen to this podcast know that. Claims have a tendency to be inflated for a lot of reasons. We'll talk about that. And then we have this competitive residual market called citizens with citizens leadership themselves saying we've got to quit competing with the private market. And then above all, excessive litigation. We all know that statistic that Commissioner Altmaier about a year and a half ago put into the marketplace with his great research that said that 7% of the nation's homeowners insurance claims are in Florida, yet 76% of all the litigation is in Florida in the homeowners insurance arena. Crazy, crazy. So that brings us today to Stacy Galanti, and I've known Stacy for a long, long time. For those of you that work with me know that I like to do a lot of listening, reaching out to people that are considered subject matter experts on various topics, and I consider Stacy a friend and an expert in a lot of arenas, particularly in uh, claims litigation. He's the chief legal counsel, legal officer at Florida Peninsula Insurance Company, which is a Florida-based homeowner's property insurance carrier down in beautiful South Florida. He gets to oversee claims, special investigations, legal departments. He talks with plaintiff lawyers, defense lawyers. He gets to have all the fun. He and his buddies back in 2005, his partners, started Florida Peninsula, and they've seen so many ups and downs in this market and have stayed resilient as a company. And he's been a member of the Florida Bar since 1993, and he's also a member of the the main bar association um, since 2018. He's an accredited claims adjuster, so he understands how to adjust claims. He's worked in the field as a desk at the desk. He's been an adjunct professor, lecturer. He's authored many books, including one on Florida insurance law. So I won't go on about my great friend and, and colleague, Stacy. Welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much for having me. I, I wasn't sure you were talking about me because you said the word brilliant. <laughs> So I thought that might be somebody else. I was like, are you sure this is the right day that I'm here for this podcast? It is. It is the right one. I'll take the compliment. All right, my dear. Thank you so much. So let's just kind of take a broad overview. We've had a couple months now to see what, you know, these reforms were in uh, Senate Bill 2A, four primary buckets, citizens reform, trying to get them less competitive with the private market. We saw, you know, assignment of benefits, uh, stopping those, changing eliminating attorney's fees, beefing up regulation. You know, it's been 60-some-odd days. Kind of talk about, you know, your day in the life of seeing if these reforms are working, they're not working. What's your thoughts? First of all, I, I do want to congratulate or give a thank you to the legislature and the governor because, you know, a lot of times we make 
we make light, we make jokes about the the government and uh, being unable to solve problems. And while certainly there are times where it feels like that, this was not one of those times. I mean, this this one, I'm giving an absolute slap on the back in a good way to to all of my friends and colleagues that work in the legislature and the governor's office for really, really getting us to a place where we've solved the vast majority of the problems we've had. So I, I'm positive for the future. And I really believe that if you take a look at what the industry is feeling right now, people are really looking towards 2023 and more importantly, 2024 for it to be a really good year for the insurance industry and for the consumers. So I, my hands, my hat's off to that. I don't wear a hat, but if I did, I would take it off to those guys and gals. So let's talk about the consumer side of this, because a lot of times in the debate during the session when these bills were, were being discussed, you would hear those saying, this is taking away the rights of consumers. This is awful for consumers. This ultimately is going to hurt consumers if they have to fight bad insurance companies. What's your perspective about that? You've been on both sides of a courtroom, those that have represented consumers, now representing insurance companies. What are your thoughts about if this being good or bad, air quotes, for consumers? That's a really good question, and we could certainly spend a lot of time talking just about that. But I really believe that what we're seeing now is kind of a leveling of the playing field. Again, I've been a lawyer in the insurance field only, basically only, for 30 years. Um, and for the first dozen years, I handled policyholder lawsuits. I mean, I went up against insurance companies. And so even though I'm chief legal officer of an insurance company and I'm a co-founder and all those things that you made me sound like I'm actually a respectable member of society, which, again, it remains to be seen. Depends on who you ask. Um, I was, as a, as a policyholder lawyer, you know, and I still feel in some way in my heart that I'm a policyholder lawyer. You know, and when we started Florida Peninsula, we said if we're going to do this. We're going to make sure that we put the policyholder first, not empty words, but we are going to, the tie is always going to go to the runner. It's always going to go to, to that individual or that, that small business, whoever it is that's, that's seeking funds. So to be honest with you, I think the problem that we've always had is that we've had a one-way attorney's fees provision and the incentives that it brought on, even though the idea is understandable. Insurance companies, look, they didn't pay my clients sometimes. And, you know, every now and then it was actually a legitimate lawsuit. I'm just kidding. But it was, I was going after somebody because there was a denial that I thought was not part of the policy. I thought they were using an exclusion or they were denying it on a, the basis of something that I felt was not, was not legitimate. And I would, I would call them to task. The problem with the way that Florida Statute 627428, the quote, one-way attorney's fee statute was written, was that it really only gave the incentive to the plaintiff's lawyers, to people like me back in the day, to file that suit no matter what. It doesn't matter about mediating. It doesn't matter about coming together and trying to find common ground. It was like, who cares? I am going to get attorney's fees one way or the other. And just for filing, it's going to cost several thousand dollars to the company. And that's going to be money in my pocket. And so while obviously I certainly believed in what I was doing for the policyholders, I knew it was paying my car payment. I knew it was paying my mortgage. And when those incentives get too big and they get abused like they have been over the last, especially five or eight years, you have to do something about it to level the playing field. So to be honest with you, although I was a policyholder lawyer for many years, for over a dozen years, and I, I had jury trials, I really believe that what the legislature did recently 
was to level that and make it more fair for both sides and take out some of those perverse incentives. That brings up my next question. I've been talking with public adjusters and plaintiff lawyers and defense lawyers. I love to kind of engage insurance agents, all stakeholders. So I've been asking those as much as I can about what do they think about this particular provision of Senate Bill 2A. And I said this to one of them and got kind of an interesting reaction. I said, you know, in the old days, the insurance company um, would have to pay for the engineer or other expert to come to the table to discuss the claim, actually pay for it for themselves, including in some instances, the consumer would have to figure out, you know, how they were going to pay for the experts, the battle of the experts you've heard in a courtroom. Now it's very clear that the insurance companies will hire their experts, the consumer will pay for their experts, but I still think the expense that the consumer will face in a, in a in litigation will be less expensive than the 30 to 35% they'd have to pay a lawyer. Am I thinking about that right, Stacy? I think that's true. There are some provisions where the court at the end of a case, no matter what, can tax costs, so it depends on what the courts find as a taxable cost. Um, but I, to be honest with you, I think that in this particular instance, you have to step back and say, do you really need an expert? Mm-hmm. In 99% of these files, you don't need to hire an engineer. I mean, mm-hmm. we almost never hire an engineer unless you're trying to find out what the cause of, say, roof damage was. Was it wind? Was it mechanical damage? Was it hail? Then maybe you need an engineer to come up with that type of of distinction as to where the damage came from, what was the physical mechanism that caused it. But otherwise, you don't really need that. If you have a windstorm blow through, and most of these are, I think you should repair it, and you think you should replace the roof, you get a roofer. The roofer doesn't charge the customer anything. They come out. They're an expert in certain regards. They know what the price is going to be. They can discuss the the, the, the various building codes and ordinances that they're, they're familiar with, that can be argued by the individual's lawyer as well. And then we have our own roofer or our own adjuster discuss from their experience perspective whether or not the roof can be replaced or repaired. So I don't even see in 90% of these cases or more that you need a paid expert. I think that's a bit of, and if I, I was a plaintiff's lawyer, I can say this, that's a little bit of nonsense from plaintiff lawyers trying to say that you need an expert in every case. You don't. Because most of these cases, we already know what the damage is, and it's really a scope and pricing differential. You repair it, you replace it. Is it $5,000 to repair that, or is it $50,000 to repair that? So once you get beyond that, I think you've lowered the problem to very few cases. And even in that regard, I agree with you. If you have a $100,000 case, the lawyer already could take up to $40,000 from that $100,000 case. And so there's a bigger incentive to try to resolve it even before you get an expert. Or if you do get an expert, to be able to negotiate that expert fee down because they're not going to charge you the full amount. They haven't gone to a deposition. They haven't gone to court. They've taken a look at a couple of various things, and there's a few hours involved in that. I don't think that the barrier to entry for that is going to be as big as some can can say that it's going to be. I just disagree. So that leads us into alternative dispute resolution. You know, (laughs) just think about in the old days, I'm 63 years old, been in this process 30, 35 years. You know, it seems like now people are thinking about ways to stay out of the courtroom. It's, you know, they're kind of figuring that out. Insurance companies are trying to move folks in that direction. Everybody wins. 
And you saw in one of the bills, um, particularly Senate Bill 2A, the December bill, that it would allow companies to move in the direction of mandatory arbitration. You saw Citizens Property Insurance under the leadership of Tim Sirio, its new president, who understands the Division of Administrative Hearings, DOA, as it's called, and a lot of citizens' um, alternative disputes are moving in that direction versus the courtroom. Give us your perspective about success rate, good for consumers, not good for consumers, to keep these things out of the courtroom, and what you think in your crystal ball it's going to be leading to better outcomes for consumers with these alternatives. Well, I, I would say two points. First, in terms of the citizens' customers, I think with those types of judges from the administrative side are every bit as smart as, as anybody else uh, who's going to be sitting on the bench and making those decisions. That's number one. And I think number two, even on that side, the thing that we want is we want an end to a dispute, uh, right? You, you're fighting with your little brother, your little sister. You go to mom and mom makes a decision. You might not be happy about it, but you got your decision and you can move on. And I think in a lot of ways, Lisa, what we're really looking for is for someone to tell us either way what the answer is. Because if I can go to my board and say, listen, the judge or the jury said something, what are they going to do? That That's what the jury or the judge said. We believe that our adjuster was infallible and the jury or the judge found something different. Or you're a plaintiff's lawyer and your policyholder says, they need to pay us every cent. They wasted my time. And they get unrealistic. And until a judge says or a jury says, this is what the answer is, and then the lawyer can go back to the client, to the policyholder, and say, look, I know you believe that we should have gone to the moon, but this is what the this is what the decision was. And so you have that kind of cover because ultimately what we want is a quick, easy, and inexpensive way to get an answer. You're going to win some. You're going to lose some. And yes, we want people to be made whole. But these are disputed claims, right? The vast majority of claims get paid for by insurance companies. If you owe a little more, somebody sends in, uh, look, the invoice was a little more. I had to stay in a hotel for an extra week. And you get paid on that. It's not a basic deal. You know, there are thousands and thousands of claims that go through the system and no one ever files an appraisal. No one ever asks for arbitration. No one ever files a lawsuit. It, it gets resolved and everyone's happy. But in these few cases where there's an issue, whether it's a, an administrative judge, um, that's going to be something where they're going to get a quick and thorough resolution. And you're going to have someone who is sitting on the bench, someone who's sworn in, who has experience, who's going to be able to make those decisions. And in the private side, if you decide as a carrier to have the mandatory binding arbitration and you have to give somebody a discount for that, right? It can't be uh, just we're going to force you to do that because under the Florida Constitution, you have the right to go to court. But if you give somebody in, in an agreement a reason to go to mandatory binding arbitration, you still have people that are absolutely brilliant. You use that word on me. It's not true. But for these people, they are really, really smart. And a lot of these people have done it for 10, 20, 30 years or more. They've done arbitrations. They've done business cases. They've done insurance cases. And so when the facts are presented to them, they're able to look at it, make a decision within a reasonable time. So within a few months, maybe less, you have a written opinion as to where you stand, as opposed to litigation where it could take years and then there's still appeals after that we want to get to a place where we can get those answers fast it's going to keep the premiums down on that side it's going to give people answers and i think it's going to be a big problem solver for everybody 
Awesome. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I'm trying to work with a group of uh, lawyers, both sides, plaintiff and defense, to get them to see that this really is in the right direction, you know, to head in general. If you think about the size of our market, about seven and a half million homeowners insurance policies, that's Welling, Fire, Mobile Home, the whole nine yards. I think California's got about 14 million, so that would make sense. And I'm on hearing, and I, we don't have any empirical data with this, but on average, in a non-storm year, you can estimate about five, three to 5% file claims on average. And if anybody knows any empirical data to support that, I would love to see it. I'm just kind of doing this from experience. And then, of course, we see what happens when we have uh, catastrophes that hit and what claims do. So, and, and I think what you're trying to drive, and I love it, is that we have to keep marching in this direction marching in the direction of alternative dispute resolution. Remember, 25 years ago, we didn't call a lawyer right out of the box. I mean, the estimates are that two out of every five claims are reported by third parties, whether it's a contractor or a lawyer, and we want to get away from that. So can you comment on what you're seeing just with, you know, first notice of loss? You know, some of the trends that you're seeing in the claims arena are people uh, willing to negotiate more? Is there a, more of a conversation? You know, are, are, do our adjusters need additional training to get to get consumers comfortable with the claims process, which can be intimidating? What suggestions do you have, I guess I'm asking, that can make the claims experience a better one from our standpoint and from the consumer standpoint and their responsibilities? What are your thoughts about that? That is, it's a huge area. And one of the things, and I know other companies have done this as well. We certainly don't have a monopoly on this, so to speak. But we uh, basically two years ago hired a director of customer experience. And we started a department called customer experience, not just customer service, but customer experience. What we've done and what a lot of others in the industry are starting to do is to look at the entire process from when you buy a policy to when you have a claim to when you get paid on that claim, to the information that you receive. Can you receive it online? Do you have to wait on hold for two hours? We want to make every rub point as smooth as possible. So if there's a rub point, we find it and we smooth it down. And I think that's what you're going to see. You're going to see companies using technology in order to make the entire system better. You're going to see better transparency so that someone can sign on either on an app or on the computer, and they can say, what's the deal with my claim? What's the deal with my policy? When is my next payment due? Do they have the right mortgage company listed? Because for many years, you had to call your agent. And agents are great. I love agents. We sell through uh, 2,500 agents. We don't sell direct. We have no plans to. We love the agent model. There's a tremendous amount of value there. But a lot of people, what happens is once they have a claim, they call the company. And then we have to do a better job, all of us as an industry, of walking people through the process and being transparent. And so when you focus on it, when you do what we've done and have a director of customer experience and you survey your customers and you find out what's wrong, you're able to solve those problems. Because I don't want to sit in an ivory tower and say everything is great. I want to find out what people need from us as a carrier. Because like I said, I sat on the other side. I sued carriers. And I felt like the carriers were making lots of mistakes. And I said, if I start an insurance company ever, and joined when I joined this group, and we started this and launched it in 2005, I said, we are going to make sure that we are transparent and we let people know what's going on every step of the way. Even if, Lisa, even if we deny a claim rightfully, they're not going to love that. 
right? Because they're going to want to get paid no matter what. You know, I paid into this for 10 years and I expect to get paid, right? That's banking. You put money in and you withdraw it. We're not a bank. We're an insurance company. And so our job is to protect the, the premiums of other people. We can't pay your claim unless it's covered. And so the more that insurance companies lease are able to be transparent and to sit down with their policyholders and go through everything step by step, I think you're going to see everything better for the consumer and the carriers. Couldn't agree with you more. I just attended the Elevate conference in uh, Utah last week. And uh, of course, this is Verisk, V-E-R-I-S-K, for those of you that aren't familiar with it, which has ExactWare and you know the, the Extreme Event Solutions, formerly called the AIR model, and all their 30, 40 companies under their umbrella. And the majority of the conversation was about the customer experience and all the tools that Verisk has to help consumers understand the claim. They've got one called um, Contents Collaboration, where a consumer can just go online and plug in what they lost. It's pretty awesome to see the new technology that's helping with the claim experience, all leading to a good customer experience, which others, um, when I talk with academics and risk management, who say that that positive customer experience has a direct correlation to a reduction in litigation. can you comment, I'm sure you've been in depositions, you've read depositions, where you hear the plaintiffs, I mean, the, you know, the customer or the plaintiff lawyer say, well, that adjuster just didn't care. How do our adjusters and companies, what's the number one thing you would recommend for them to show they care? I'm going to put you on the spot here. What is that, Stacy, to try to reduce the propensity for litigation? You know, one of the rules that I use, whether I'm talking to somebody live or I'm talking to a customer. Now, you may not know this, but when Hurricane Ian or Hurricane Nicole hits or any of the other storms, basically it's all hands on deck, right? So I have a login to the customer service portal. So I answered probably three, 400 first notice of loss calls. And I answered probably two or 300 follow-up calls from those hurricanes. I mean, just me. Hi, this is Stacy. Thank you for calling Florida Peninsula. I did it like anybody else as part of the triage, as part of the the tree when you call in for customer service. So I got to actually speak to people to take their first notice of loss. And here's what I do. Here's my rule. Whenever I pick up the phone, just when I'm picking up the phone, I say to myself, pretend that the CEO of my company, Paul Atkins, said to me, listen, the person you're about to speak to is a really good friend of mine or it's a relative of mine. Can you take good care of them? That doesn't mean I pay a dollar more than I should pay. It doesn't mean I agree to cover them for, you know, dinosaur damage when there's an exclusion for damage caused by dinosaurs. I'm not going outside because it's a friend of the CEOs, but you know what I am doing? I'm paying attention. I'm being polite because in the back of my mind, I know this person is going to tell Paul how I treated them. And if I don't, I'm going to get taken out to the woodshed. And I do not want that, especially with with my my CEO, because, you know, he's uh, he, he, he used to box. So here's the deal. What I say is, and I look right at that telephone and I say, you know what? This person is a friend of the CEOs. How would I treat them? And that always guides me to doing the best job that I can for that particular customer. That is excellent advice to anybody that's taking first notice of lost calls or talking to customers about, you know, how they're feeling or thinking. In fact, we 
one of our classes that we try to teach from our firm is bedside manner for adjusters, bedside manner for call center agents. Just a short little hour that says, here are some ideas you can use when you're, you know, experiencing uh, someone's angst and anxiety about a claim. So that's excellent ideas. Like I heard up in a class last week, it's, it's like, you should be talking to your mom. How would you talk to your mom? And one of my creeds is everything we needed to know we learned in kindergarten. So you're talking a lot about kindness and courtesy. That is just awesome. I'm going to bring this in for a landing, and I want to ask you one more question. You've heard... Uh, we saw the reinsurance numbers for January 1, you know, in Florida, just for those of you that don't know kind of the lay of the land, we have about mm, 40 to 45 companies that write 85% of those seven and a half million policies. And again, those of you that know these numbers better than I do, certainly give me some commentary about that. And those 40 or 45 companies, some of those go to the reinsurance market as, and, and buy the reinsurance as of January 1st. A majority of them uh, renew their reinsurance as of June 1st. And, you know, a lot of reinsurers around the world listen to this podcast, Germany, Switzerland, London, Bermuda. And I know in just talking to them that they look at the claims quality, the claims practices, and the claims procedures of insurance companies as one of the factors that when they consider providing reinsurance. And so what would you say to those reinsurers that they should be looking for in terms of claims quality, claims operations? What are the things they should be asking from insurance companies to make sure that when they put their reinsurance dollars in a company in Florida, they're getting their money's worth? What would you say? It's a terrific question because, as you said, you have listeners from all over the, the country and all over the world, especially on the reinsurance side. One of the things I think you want to look at for each company, especially for the companies that exist, is how do they use data? We have a chief risk officer who used to work for Aon, and he's got a bunch of really brilliant people working. What do the companies, what is their management like, and what do the companies do in terms of their data so that they're looking at underwriting opportunities, where to write, how to write, what needs to be excluded, what policy changes do they have in their policy that someone else may not have? Um, do they have appraisal? Is that a positive or negative? Do they have mandatory binding arbitration? How have they handled the past storms? It's about looking at that data because companies, while we're all in this together, there are companies that stand out and there are companies that do a better job and there are companies that that protect their capital a bit better than other companies. And so I think it's important for the reinsurers to take a look at the individual carrier, their management, and whether or not they've really embraced the 21st century in terms of big data and that they're able to generate areas to sell and areas not to sell or policies not to sell in order to protect their own dollars and the reinsurance dollars. But even more importantly, I think the, the people in reinsurance really need to see how amazing and positive the actions of the governor and the legislature have been in this past special session. Just like when people said you're not going to solve sinkhole, the legislature and the governor at that time solved the sinkhole problem. Do we have sinkholes all the time now? Do we have people suing because there's a small crack? We don't. And you know why? Because the law was passed that allowed everyone to change their policy to make it so that those lawsuits went away. Now you have real lawsuits. If your house falls into a big hole, you get paid for it. But if you have a one-inch crack, it's harder for you to argue that there's some big sinkhole under your house and you need all kinds of cash. So it's the same thing with what we're seeing now from the changes that were recently passed. We're already seeing, other than Ian, we're seeing less daily suits. 
people are seeing less daily claims. They're seeing less severity. They're seeing a lowering of frequency all because of what this what they did, the legislature. And you know what? Yeah, 2023 is going to be a bit bumpy while the policies change over and while the laws take effect. But honestly, for those people that stick it out, 2024 is going to be a banner year. And I think the carriers are going to remember who in the reinsurance side stuck with them during this time when they weren't sure. Because I'm telling you, it's going to get much better. I saw it with sinkholes. I was a plaintiff's lawyer. I know how people think. And I'm telling you, with the changes that were done to AOBs, the offer of judgment, the attorney's fees, the bad faith, and the reinsurance in terms of, of what they're doing to assist us, there is going to be a big change in Florida, and it's going to be a positive for the reinsurance companies, the consumers, and the primary carriers. I cannot tell you how happy I am to hear you say that because you have both perspective, both from the consumer and the company. And it's very difficult sometimes when I'm out in communities and I have people saying, are you, you know, is, are these bills taking away my rights? And I have to tell them, no, you want a lawyer. There's 108,000 of them out there and they all looking for work. So I will use a lot of what you said. I've got a presentation this Friday in front of um close to probably a thousand condo board members who are very upset about their rates going up and I'm going to encourage them to get more engaged. Maybe I'll have you come speak to them as well. And I just got to ask you one more thing, Stacey, before we close this out. I saw today, you know, we're recording this Tuesday, Valentine's Day, about 1230, the governor held a press conference prior to it. And the headline of his press release is that Governor Ron DeSantis announces comprehensive lawsuit reforms to protect Floridians from predatory billboard attorneys. I'd like you to comment about that comprehensive lawsuit reform journey it looks like the governor's going to take. It's a very expansive set of, I guess, attacks that he's making in order to kind of make it better for the consumers, really in a sense, to lower premiums across the board. And the one item that I think is most noticeable and most important about what the governor said is that what they did in the special sessions, they took away the attorney's fees, one-way attorney's fees, from property insurance companies. But they didn't do it in auto. They didn't do it in other areas. And so what the governor is saying here is that, look, it's not just going to be in property. Why should we have this cottage industry growing up anywhere around insurance? And so what, the, what he said in his press conference and in the press release was, look, we are getting rid of the one-way attorney's fees for all lines of insurance. So we're going to modernize it and not have this old, hey, if you get $1 more than what, what you said you were going to get, you get a million dollars in attorney's fees, which is, by the way, sometimes what happens. You have a $10,000 case. Somebody gets a, an extra dollar or $1,000 more than they thought they were going to get, and they get $500,000 to a million dollars in attorney's fees. That's not hyperbole. That's actually what's going on. And so what the governor's saying, let's get rid of it, not just in property insurance, but in all lines of insurance. And you know what? Let's get rid of what's called the multiplier. And pretty much everyone listening to this podcast knows. But for somebody just tuning in, it allowed the judge to double or even double and a half the attorney's fees. So if an attorney uh, beat an insurance company by a few bucks and they were awarded you know, half a million dollars, the court could double that to a million dollars or double it and a half. And so what this does, it's going to say if it passes, no more of that. We're not going to hold the insurance companies hostage. We're going to modernize and we're going to be like the rest of the country where it's not going to be a free for all. And not going to continue to escalate the cost of just about everything that we do. 
That's absolutely true because it's not just insurance. But but he talks about small businesses, and when you go after small businesses, especially when you don't have a reason because you're just trying to make some fees on the side, it raises the price for everyone, and it's part of that inflationary issue that we're seeing, and it's got to get better, and he's going to do something about it, and I think that's terrific. I do too, and as my – as, as what I heard, I mean, I was listening in the Capitol today, and you could hear there was a lot of small business owners, a lot of groups in the Capitol that were applauding this move. So thank you so much for commenting on that. Absolutely. I'm going to bring this in for a landing. I just can't thank you enough for spending time with us this afternoon. We'll have you back on the show on other topics, I know. And, um, you know, our listening audience, I saw a group when I was out at this various conference, and they said, we hang we hang on your every word in these podcasts because my guests are terrific, and you really are, Stacy. So I'm going to close with this. You know, we will put podcast show notes out there. And the various things we've talked about, you know, the article about citizens using division of administrative hearings and, you know, any other little pieces and parts that may help you do your job, we'll put those out for you to use and as kind of a summary of this conversation. And, you know, what I love to say is we take notes so you don't have to. And we want you to like this podcast and share it with your colleagues and get it out among, you know, the various social media platforms and other channels. And I want to hear from you. I mean, we take a lot of time and effort in putting these podcasts together, and we want to know what your experience is with rising rates, insurance claims, litigation that drives you crazy, litigation you think you're owed money, whatever. We're happy to engage with you. So you can call us or leave a comment at 850-388-8002. That's 850-388-8002. Or you can send in an email, Lisa Miller at Lisa Miller Associates with an S on the end.com. So that's a wrap for this roundup edition. And Stacy, thank you for being a part of it. And we will see you on the trail. You know we have a tremendous passion for policy and client success here at Lisa Miller Associates. And we want you to do well. Enter here. We've always got your back. Until next time, stay safe. This has been Lisa Miller and Associates' Florida Insurance Roundup, your podcast on the people, issues, and regulations shaping Florida's insurance market. For more information on today's program, please visit us on the web at www.lisamillerassociates.com.